Well, hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on the podcast, we are so excited. We are bringing a guest on to settle a debate once again. Is the best Stevie Wonder album from his classic period, Inner Visions or Songs in the Key of Life? Micaiah? You say Inner Visions, I say Songs in the Key of Life. What do our listeners need to know about Inner Visions? Uh, yeah, well, it sits right there in the middle of this classic period. You know, it's not the, it's not the start and it's not the, the, the end of a period. I mean, it's right at the height of this period. It's so perfectly in the middle. Uh, it's Stevie Wonder being politically conscious, uh, being really funky, being really fun and and funny even uh i mean it just when i think of stevie wonder and what his music sounds like i mean this this is what plays in my mind uh is is, is the sound that's captured on intervisions and the songs on uh that record so uh for me and, and that's the first one that i got into uh so it's hard for me to kind of dethrone it it's a tight nine songs and yeah i mean i i, I think it's it is a you know, of, of these five, you know, what people call his perfect period, I think for me, Intervisions is, is the most perfect. I think that Songs in the Key of Life as the culmination of the perfect period is, is the most deserving. And, and arguably, not only the culmination, but the most ambitious work of, of these five albums produced and released within five years. And five albums produced and released between 21 and 26 this is this is what was so easy to forget these five albums will all come out before stevie wonder will turn 27 years old and i think the culmination of these five albums this perfect period culminating in songs in the key of life a double lp with actually a double LP and the original packaging also had a four song 45 that also came with this album. Um, just an incredible work. And one of the things that I think we see in songs in the key of life is we begin to see the shift in Stevie wonders life as he is entering into being a parent and there is something that happens, the lens through which he has been seeing or, or rather hearing the world is, is now changed because of this new addition in his life. And suddenly what he has already been doing for the previous four albums in Songs in the Key of Life sounds fresh and new. And there is a... In, a new perspective to all of it. And I think that that shines through in the record. But, and I, and I, and I honestly think that there's listening to them all numerous times. I think songs in the key of life is, it's not as much like the other four as, um, as, as we tend to say that it is. I mean, they're there. I mean, he, he's doing, he's doing more new things in that album than he is on the first four, the first four really are tightly bound together. And mm-hmm. it sounds like he life is, is getting kind of away from those four 
while also elevating them. It's very interesting and very unique in that way when we talk about this five album run. And I think that's what's appealing to some people. And when people say, oh, it's an elevation for me, I think there's a loss there because I do like the more kind of gritty, funky stuff that's happening in the other four. Uh, But there's no wrong way. You know, you could pick any one of those five and and you could probably make a good case uh, fulfilling this, maybe not so much, but but certainly these two is what it's always kind of gone down, how it's always gone down. And on the Rolling Stone list, it's been, they, they flip-flop mm-hmm. uh, just on this last revision on which one gets to be the highest. Songs of the Key of Life now being in the top 10. Yeah, and, and I would say in, it, on my personal top 100 albums, and, and you and I have made a habit at least once a year of doing top 100 albums. For me, on my personal top 100 Songs of the Key of Life, Inner Visions, and Talking Book, all three, make my top 100. Yeah, and I, so, and I, I have Inner Visions uh, in my like, top 30. I mean, I, it's, 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 it's fairly high up there, and it's I've been there for a long time. I, yeah, I, I, I cherish that record. Yeah, and in, 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 in to the point you were making about Songs of the Key of Life, it is, it is a more expansive album and obviously it doesn't fit on it doesn't fit on four sides of the two lps that that come with it um and so inner visions the nine songs of inner visions are they they make for the what is the tightest album of this perfect period i'll agree with you in in that there is there is a tightness to inner visions that is not there on songs in the key of life, but I, but I think what you get for giving up that efficiency um, is is worth it on songs in the key of life. But obviously, we need someone to come in and help us figure out who's right, who's wrong, or where we need to place these albums. And so, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with our guest today, Zeth Lundy the writer of the 33 and a third volume on songs in the key of life and the writer and editor at Disgraceland. Hey, this is Rob and I wanted to let you know that our independent record store of the week is electric Buddhas in Portland, Maine. Electric Buddhas carries vintage vinyl, CDs, and cassettes, classic stereos, turntables, and speakers. They've got everything that you want to get your vinyl record collection started or to find a hidden gem that you've been looking for. Electric Buddhas is located in Portland, Maine, and they can be reached by phone at 207-200-8864. You can find them online at electricbuddhas.com, or of course, you can visit their store at 49 Oak Street in Portland, Maine, any Wednesday through Sunday from 10 to 6 p.m. I was always interested in writing about music and um, started doing that back in the early 2000s, I guess. Um, I started out at a place called Pop Matters, which is an online website, and I wrote and edited there for a couple of years, um, 
did, did a lot of stuff there. I'm just churning out as much as I could, interviews, reviews, features, whatever I could get my, get my hands on. Um, and one thing led to another, uh, uh, continuum at the time who was publishing the 33 and a third series put out a call for for um proposals for books and i was super into like and i still am but i was you know like when you're i mean i was in my uh my late 20s at that point i guess you know when, like when you're younger and you you discover something and you just like go down the rabbit hole with like a, with a genre you know like i did that with like the blues in high school and i was doing that in soul with soul music and in, in my 20s like where I just couldn't get enough. And it was like, you'd start with the big, you start with like Otis Redding and Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye. And then, then you go to like Solomon Burke and then you go to James Carr. And then you go to, you know, you'd like, you'd go deeper and deeper and find stuff that, that uh, was a little bit under the radar that the people didn't really know about. And I just, I love the sound of it. Right. And I love, I just love soul music for, for a number of reasons. Anyways, long story short, I wanted to write, I wanted to write about soul music. I also, um, you know, at that point when I wrote that book, I think it's number 40 something in the series. Like there were probably maybe three or four editions of that series that have been written about soul R and B music uh, on black artists in general. And I, and I just sort of thought it was a, it was an area that was lacking in the series. It was kind of like a, you know, um, a middle-aged white rock and roll kind of, kind of thing. And I thought, I mean, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a white dude myself. So, um, but I just thought it was a, it was an area that I was interested in and I thought should be explored more. And so, so anyways, all these sort of things kind of came together for me to think about what I wanted to do, what I wanted to write about with, when it came to soul music and R&B music. And I, Stevie Wonder, that, that period from 72 to 76, you know, you can talk about the Beatles all day long. Like the Beatles were, I mean, amazing they 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 changed the the course of music in in uh, less than a decade essentially. But for me, it was this really fertile period of creativity um, that Stevie Wonder uh, was uh, sort of led in the '70s, and it got me thinking about um, artists when they have these bursts, these these bursts of create like like these golden periods, right? So you've got you know, the, the, the Beatles are on their own thing, but you've got like Dylan's golden period and Marvin Gaye's golden period or, or, or CB wonders. And it got me thinking about that. And I wanted to write, I wanted to write about that, about, about sort of creative genius and how it starts and finishes and why it starts and finishes and what, like, why was it contained to this area? Makai and I have both been talking about in the weeks leading up to recording this episode is we've both been going through Stevie Wonder's whole catalog, but there is these five albums. It's that 72 to 76 run. I mean, it's on there is, it's there is not, there is not a missed step yeah. in, in that period of time. And then of course, when you hear the interviews about people that worked with him during that period, it was, unrelenting i mean it's just when whenever his create whenever his creative energy struck no matter what time of day no matter what day of the week no matter what was going on in the world it was let's get to the studio let's record and not only is it this ability to produce such an incredibly high level of quality over this period of time but producing that level of quality 
while playing nearly every instrument by himself on most of those albums. I mean, outside of maybe Prince, there's really no single artist we see in the history of music who's kind of capable of all of it simultaneously and then maintain that level of quality over that period of time. So for you, as you know, again, finding that soul music at that point in your life and then exploring kind of this golden era, this classic era of Stevie Wonder, what is it that you're finding as you're diving in to specifically this five-year period across these five albums? I'm glad that you mentioned Prince too, because that's another artist that was given complete, I mean, I think it's about creative control, right? So Stevie Wonder is given complete creative control in the 70s in a way that he's never had it before. Prince was given complete creative control when he was signed by Warner Brothers in the late 70s. I mean, think about, like, pick pick any of your favorite. I mean, I, I always go back to the, the Beatles and the Kinks thing, right? So the Beatles were given, like, the, the world was their oyster. They could go into Abbey Road whenever they wanted to. They could go there at 3 in the morning. They could record all night long, all day long. They could do whatever they wanted to do. And... I'm not saying that they weren't, I mean, geniuses because they were, but imagine if like, meanwhile, you got the kinks and they're relegated to, you got to come in at this time, you got to leave at this time. It's very strict set of rules, right? What would have happened if, if, if those roles have been reversed and the kinks have been given the, the, the keys of the castle, so to speak, right? So I think in, in like Stevie Wonder's case and in Prince's case, and when I sort of, the, the more I kind of researched into, into Stevie Wonder and, um, and wrote about it, um, I really think that's a big part of it is that he was given the ability to do what he wanted to do. And also, I think he had the foresight to, you know, he knew he knew what the deal was, what his contract was at Motown leading up to his 21st birthday. And uh, there were a lot of great ideas that he sort of, he he held on to, he saved, he waited until... Um, he was past that point where he could renegotiate and, and then sort of, he just like, he just brain dumped. I mean, he literally brain dumped. They had a, uh, Malcolm Cecil, who we'll, we'll talk about at some point here, who, who just passed away. He's, he's on record saying that they had a tape, uh, recorder that just ran in the studio because while, while Malcolm and Bob, uh, Margulif were busy setting up patches with, with the synthesizers, like Stevie got bored and would just start playing stuff. And they wanted to capture every single thing that kind of came out of his head, right? There's all this creative stuff that just dumps. And I mean, just imagine, like if you were, if you knew that you could do whatever you wanted to do and money was no object and um, you could release whatever you wanted to release, uh, write whatever you wanted to write, that sort of thing, play, play whatever you wanted to play. Like what, what, what would you create? You know, how is that, how is that a different experience than somebody who is, um, who, who sort of has to, live under a, a stricter rule when it comes to, um, you know, corporate bottom lines or whatever, whatever it is. And may, maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's too naive of a way to look at it, but, but I, I feel like that has a lot to do with it, that it's, you kind of turn somebody loose and like, look what they create, you know? But just thinking about, cause we're, we're talking about somebody who was recording with Motown when he was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. And being uh, promoted and marketed as the 12 year old genius. Right. Little Stevie Wonder, little Stephen Wonder, all kinds of names being within, within like two years being branded as, you know, doing uh, instrumental stuff. It's like a full instrumental album, a live album, 
uh, and then like a Ray Charles cover album, and then like an album of standards, and then like Little Stevie at the beach, to kind of like <laughs> writing like the Beach Boys surf rock kind of coattails thing. Right. I mean, they're just trying to fit him into everything. And but but at the same time, he he's still in that Motown uh, arrangement, right? Where Barry Gordy is in control of him, just like he is all of his players. And he even had, and this is what I learned from your book, that he had uh, his money put in a trust that he wouldn't even have access to until he was 21 years old. Yeah. So turning 21 and in, uh, in 1971, it would have been, right, we get two LPs in 1972. It's like, there, there, I mean, there, there is a very clear reason why in 1972 we get the start of what is known as the classic period, the golden period, perfect period, whatever you want to call it. And that's with Music of My Mind uh, being the first of those two albums. So what, what makes Music of My Mind the beginning of a classic period for Stevie Wonder? How, what sets it apart from, and before that was Signs Steel, oh, no, not, not even that, um, the 1971 album. Uh, where I'm Coming where I'm From. Coming from. yeah. That's kind of Which, like the bridge between the two. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There, are, yeah. There are two. In 1970, he does Steinsteel Deliver, yep. where he gets to produce his uh, produce songs for the first time. And since we've already brought up the Beatles, it's uh, we can work it out. Yep. Right. Which and is then like for me, like for my money, that might even be better than the Beatles version. I know that's sacrilegious to say, but I don't think it is. I we I agree. Think that is completely. Yeah, I think we're three for three on this one. It's unanimous. <laughs> like it, it. It's. It's, I mean, it's Stevie, come on. Uh, yeah, and then 71, yeah, there's that Bridge album. Yeah. Uh, Where I'm Coming From. And now he's doing songs that are outside that two and a half, three and a half radio-friendly range and kind of yeah. six-minute, kind of more funky numbers and find it. Yeah, Do Yourself a Favor. Yeah, I, yeah, that, I was, that's my favorite on that record, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, a, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the bridge that's taken us to Talking Book and everything for sure. Mm-hmm. Real, real funky, real great. And yeah, and he's producing as well. But I mean, and I, I mean, I, maybe I'm uh, answering my own question here, but by music in my mind, he has uh, two new collaborators who you've already referenced. Right. Uh, so set that up for us about this collaboration and these new instruments that he's using also that's sure. kind of creating or jumpstarting like this classic period. So so to back up a little bit, I don't know that I don't know that Barry Gordy and Motown really knew what they were doing, like with their artists near the end of the '60s, right? I mean, they, they had a great thing going, but then they're trying to do like the Supremes with these like dinner music albums and stuff, like they, I, which I, I get that they were trying to cross over, cross the black white barrier, and uh, but you see it with Stevie and you see it with Marvin Gaye, like that once like Marvin Gaye with what's going on, right? When he finally gets the opportunity to do what he wants to do on his own. And he, he creates this record that is now the, the, at the top of Rolling Stones best records of all time. Um, and it's one of the greatest ever for sure. And I, and that had a huge Im- impact on Stevie Wonder as well, but Stevie, like, so in the sixties, when he's, when he's underage, under 21, I mean, he got paid a couple bucks a week, just like everybody else did. So when his songs went to number one, and made a ton of money, he just got paid a couple bucks a week. Now he had money that was in this trust as you referenced and he got that money when he turned 21. And I think 
I mean, the, the big thing that happens when he makes music in my mind, there's a couple of things that happen. I mean, first of all, where I'm coming from, he tackles, there's some stuff in there about the Vietnam War, which is very similar to what's going on. So- uh, And they're the same year. Same year, yeah. What's so going think- on, there's a riot going on, where I'm coming from, they're all in this kind of cultural consciousness happening totally. at the same time. So he's, he's tapping into that, which he hasn't done before. Um, music and, of, and, is, and is very anti-Motown because uh, like we're talking about like the 60s so much of the the way that uh, the black artists exclusive black artists you know had to represent themselves felt very much into like the politics of respectability right you had to win over the white audience by presenting yourself as you know dressing nicely not intimidating uh, not controversial Right. right. And then, and then this moment gay, I was like, screw that. Like, no, we're going to do, this is what, this is how we do it. Like, and I right. think we followed suit for sure. Um, so then there, so then there's, there's Malcolm Cecil who just passed away right yesterday. Yeah. So, uh, so he, so uh, Malcolm and uh, Bob, Bob Margaleff, is that how you say his, his last name? I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so these guys, they created this like Frankenstein, Stein synthesizer for lack of a better term. And it basically, it's like, I think it was like nine feet long or it is, it's, I think it's in like a a museum in Canada now, but it's a, it's nine feet long, these giant wooden cabinets that sort of envelop you, you sit in it and it, um, it incorporated a lot of different manufacturers, synthesizers that they figured out a way to, they could talk to each other. So you've got, you've got Moog units and you've got, um, ARP units, and you've got all these different manufacturers and different types of synthesizers that sort of Frankenstein together so that you can play one using the other and that sort of thing. And they create these really just for the time, early 70s, just completely far out sounds. And, uh, you know, Tonto's, Tonto's expanding headband was, was uh, the, the name that they recorded uh, a record under. Long story short, Stevie heard that record and like loved the sounds on it. And I think he like literally like went to Cecil's house or apartment or that, I mean, that's the urban legend is that he, you know, shows up on his door and knocks on his door or whatever, whether or not that's true. He, he, he sought him out and, and those guys were sort of his, uh, his confidants for the next couple of years. I mean, they weren't, they weren't actually, I don't think they were actually on Songs of the Key of Life, but a lot of the stuff that is on Songs of the Key of Life were things I think that they had worked out in the years. But they recorded, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of songs, stuff that's right. never been released and stuff that's probably, stuff that's that wasn't really finished either. But this new sound that he was developing, that's all over those records. If you listen to Talking Book or Intervisions or Fulfilling This Is First Finale or Songs of the Key of Life, all those funky, I mean, it goes beyond just like electric keyboard and clavinet and stuff. There's funky, weird sounds going on in those records. Weirder, I think, than people realize because so many of the songs are such, are, are just sort of ingrained in our cultural consciousness and they're big radio hits, but there's some weird stuff going on there. Like, They Won't Go and I Go on Fulfilling This Is First Finale, which is one of my favorite Stevie Wonder songs of all time, is like the weirdest song and the synths are weird and it's just... I, I think it's great. I think I think Stevie Wonder was doing uh, was involved in a lot more sort of avant-garde synth stuff than people give him credit for. I mean, again, through 
through Malcolm and Bob. Um, so not to sort of understate their involvement, but I think there was a lot of, a lot more weird stuff going on there than people give it credit for, you know? The man is his own instrument and the instrument is an orchestra. And I think that's for someone who is a musical genius who can play the drums. And I just listened to every Stevie wonder album recently. And my biggest kind of takeaway uh, from that is that I, I think he's actually one of the all time great drummers. Oh, for sure. Um, but but there's something so exciting about Tonto, this, this huge synthesizer, right? Is that now he's not just playing harmonica, drums, keys, right? Now the keys also open him up to an orchestra, right? He was kind of like a one-man funkadelic. He could be, right? And it, on that path also. But then he also, especially by songs in the key of life, goes after, you know, uh, making the, the, the synth sounds sound like strings and like horns. And he really does become a one-man orchestra, not just a one-man band or a singer-songwriter, but an orchestra unto himself. I mean, but I mean, in the 60s when he was, uh, when he was younger, he would, I, I believe he would sit down with, a, with an arranger and, and sort of show, show the details on keyboard as to how the songs would be arranged. And they were those were taken away, and uh, they would record an orchestra or or musicians or whatever the track without Stevie, and they come back and he put his vocal on it or whatever. Like it was very much out of his hands in that way. And so, so yeah, I think, um, and I think Malcolm Cecil had a some a quote about music of my mind being that that Stevie used to say to him that whenever the the records would come out. It, it wouldn't be the music that he heard in his mind. You know what I mean? Like, and so now he was really making the music that he heard in his mind with these two guys and these synthesizers and basically this, 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 uh, this creative freedom that he had for the first time. Music in my mind, talking book, inner visions, fulfilling this first finale and songs in the key of life. One of the things that, at least to me, seems seems to be evident across these five albums is and, and of course this makes sense like essentially records music in my mind at 21 talking book at 22 intervisions at 23 fulfilling this first now at 23 songs in the key of life at 25 i mean you, you think about that you think about that kind of production that creativity and all of that is out before his 26th birthday that's just that's just that's just ridiculous like can you imagine it's like orson wells and citizen kane it's like you just want to like just like if, if you are a person who creates things and you just want to like throw like throw in the towel and be like well screw this like you know what i mean i obviously i cannot compete on that level like that's just Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, both born in 1941. And you look at where they are at 22 to 26, and that's, you know, like the 1963, yeah. 1967, you know, yeah. for, for both of them, yeah. huge runs. Totally. You know, uh, Prince uh, was born in like, what, 58? His self-titled album yeah. comes out in 78. So from yeah. like there to like Purple Rain, yeah. you sure. know, it's like the same kind of thing. You know, something about like this age and these, this, these kind of, you know, 
what what's bananas is like that also that these people are also around the same time. Mm-hmm. And we really don't have very I mean there there was a time when all of them were on the radio at the same time. They're, they're crossing yeah. over and we really don't get these talents very much anymore. I think that's why like looking back at it, you're just like this was you know you, you hate to hear the boomers say things like, oh you know, back when I was younger so we had all the good music. But when you look at it you're like they did have some like <laughs> once in a generation people but there were like a half a dozen of them at the yeah. same, you know like that i mean it not for nothing that's that's pretty exceptional stevie wonder continues to have creative freedom for the rest of his career i mean no one no one ever barry gordy's him again um and thankfully barry gordy didn't again that, <laughs> that that's beautiful as well but i mean but no one no one ever tries to do that again there is something to be said, though, of what we see in Sign Seal Delivered and where I'm coming from, that hints at all of this kind of, that, that, that restraint that's been put on him for all this time mm-hmm. has really allowed, I think, a lot of that creativity to kind of, you know, to simmer and... and, and there is this beautiful run, this incredible run, unbelievable run. But I don't think I'm alone here in saying that Stevie Wonder, since Songs in the Key of Life, has really not ever kind of produced anything that 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 is kind of up to the caliber of that classic run since. And and I wonder to what extent an artist like Stevie Wonder needs, not needs, but, but could benefit from the occasional restraint that, that some, sometimes totally. restraint pre- provides more creativity. Totally. Like he sort of like everything that, yeah, no, I, I, and that was my first thought when I went to write the book was again, thinking about, these these creative golden periods when they start and they end why do they end what why why does why does songs in the key of life sort of end cap that that creative burst of you know four or five years and why do we never see it again you know um i i didn't end up fully pursuing that idea in the in the in the long run but that was that was sort of what got me there in the first place was thinking about that and i think i mean to your point you know um he sort of breaks free from that restraint and like just unleashes all this stuff. But yeah, maybe it's something, you know, maybe at some point, I mean, you said that with Prince too, like, you know, like I love Prince, but you know, after, and I, I got a soft spot for graffiti bridge, like more than most people do, but like after graffiti bridge, it's like really hit and miss, you know, and then it becomes like more miss than hit. And you kind of wonder like at some point, would he have benefited from someone to be like, nah, man, like, you know, don't, don't, don't release this three CD set, like pare it down to one good album, you know? And, and then some people could argue that for songs of the key of life too, that just like you could argue that with London calling or the white album or uh, maybe not exile main street. Cause that's pretty perfect. But like any double album that you could just whittle down to one album and like how, how awesome would songs of the key of life be? How, how unbeatable would it be if it was, you know, 13 songs and 45 minutes, like how, you know, but of course you couldn't do that because some of the best songs on that record are like six minutes long. So not, 
this isn't an accusation of, of laziness, but you do wonder someone who's able to put out these five albums in this five year span and does all that by 26. And then, you know, has already been through, I mean, essentially he's already been through a marriage, you know, and, and now, now has a kid. Yeah. Um, you, you do wonder on a, on a very human level as, as, as people who appreciate the music and appreciate the art and want there to be more of it. Right. It's, it's easy, I think, to, to disassociate the living, breathing human being with, you know, who wants a, you know, a, a multifaceted life totally. from, from the art that they put out. And so you do wonder, like, do you just, as, as crazy as it sounds, if you're Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. And you've done these five albums by twenty six. Yeah. Are you are you bored of putting out great music? Like, are, are you <laughs> so like part time lover? Good enough. Like, you know that's uh, <laughs> hey, that's not a bad one. <laughs> but, but it is that thing where you just you kind of just go like you you know you can do this and yes. uh, well here's there's another there's, thing we're missing. There's nothing here. left to prove anymore. Yeah. Well, Rob, there's another thing that we're kind of skirting around here is that before Songs the Key of Life, he announced he was going to retire and move to Ghana. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was uh, fulfilling this finale part. Where he's like, all right, and I'll do part two maybe, and then I'm out. And then he signs a contract with Motown for $37 million. So, I mean, that, I mean, that, that could have been a, just a power publicity move. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Kind of similar to when he, when he turned 21, he was like, Peace out, y'all. I'm I'm out of here. I'm I'm off the Motown roster. And if like if you want me back, like, you know, you know what you got to do to get me back. Right. Uh, Stevie Wonder had a unprecedented power and stronghold over Motown. That if Barry Gordy ever decided to sell Motown, Stevie Wonder had like veto power essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. Intervention. Hey, we're talking about intervisions now on the previous Rolling Stone list, which we, we reference a lot yep. because obviously the nature of this podcast is trying to decide on kind of the greatest albums in, at least in the United States. Anytime you talk about greatest albums, the, the thing that comes up is the Rolling Stone list, whether the original 2003, the 2012 revision or the 2020 revision. Intervisions was previously the highest ranked Stevie Wonder album on that Rolling Stone list. And yet, in the 2020 revision, Songs in the Key of Life has not only leapfrogged Intervisions by quite some distance, but has leapfrogged it into being a top 20 album. Top 10. Songs in the Key of Life is in the top 10 now. Yeah. And Intervisions went from 24 to 34, I think. So so I guess my, my first question would be, it seems the the more time that has passed from the release of these two albums that inner visions has in some ways become to be valued slightly less and again that's 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 putting a whole lot of assumption based on you know rolling stones list speaking for a whole lot of people so that that's not u- universal but at least for them their their assessment of inner visions has has dropped some and they are seeing songs in the key of life um, with with much more rose colored glasses. That's and so, 
let's let's talk about inner visions as kind of being this third of this five album run this kind of middle album of the classic period yep what is so special about inner visions in your mind okay so personally inner visions is the first cb wonder album that i come to as an adult so like i've I, I've heard all the Stevie Wonder hits and, and when I'm, when I'm getting diving into soul music as an adult, um, inner visions was the first Stevie Wonder LP that I listened to start to finish. And I fell in love with, I, I love that record. And the way I look at it is like inner visions is like the revolver of Stevie's like talking book is like rubber soul. Uh, inner visions is like the revolver. And then, uh, I guess that would make, wait, this doesn't work. Hold on. <laughs> the first finale is maybe like Magical Mystery Tour. I don't know. And then, of course, Songs of the Key of Life is the, is the White Album. But I think a lot of things come together in Inner Visions. I think, what, I think, I think that vision that he's working towards really coalesces in Inner Visions. Um, you've got social and political commentary, um, like Too High about drug use. And you've got... He's, I'm, I'm grabbing my, hold on. And uh, he's Mr. Know-it-all, right, for uh, political stuff, um, living for the city. I mean, there's so much like, like as a, I, I feel like it's one of his most politically and socially conscious records, but it's also, I mean, don't you worry about a thing. And he's Mr. Know-it-all is like my favorite, like one, two final album punch. Like, I think don't you worry about a thing is like, Num- like if I was to make a list of top five CB songs, that's number one for me. Like oh, it's, wow. it's so great that the groove on that song, like that there's that, I don't, I don't care where you are, or what you're doing. That comes on. Like it's a party. Let's come out mm-hmm. and see a party. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and higher ground, I think higher ground is, and the fact that, I mean, higher ground, like he, like so many of his songs that in that time, he wrote it like that, just like out of almost out of thin air. Although it was probably sort of, you know, uh, fermenting in his head for a long time but um i think inner visions is sort of where that again that vision kind of coalesces i think for me i think there's a little bit of filler on talking book there's a little bit of filler on uh, a little bit more than a little bit of filler on music in my mind i think uh they're both great records but i feel like inner visions is out of that whole run i think is the record that you could point to and say there's not a minute of filler on this record I think the songs are all great. The performances are all great. I think it's a perfect balance of avant-garde sound experimentation and straight up sort of pop craftsmanship. I think, I think that's where he really locks in, you know? Mm-hmm. Fulfilling this is first finale kind of gets the shaft on that run. That's kind of the one that's forgotten about for whatever reason. It just doesn't have a huge, a huge, huge hit on it. It has a it has hits on it, but it's not like people don't maybe this is because the the name of the thing is too damn long to, to, to say right again and again. But, um, but I think that that record is really solid as well. If I was to, I'm probably getting ahead of myself here when I'm rating records or whatever, but intervisions is really for me. And I think for a lot of other people is where it just clicked, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, the, I'm, I'm pretty similar to you because when I was in college, and it came time to look past just like the hits and like actually start getting into the the Stevie LPs. Inner Visions was the one that I went to first as well, and mainly because of Higher Ground and uh, Live for the City. And then you get, I mean, I think I think it has the. And I guess I'm making my case here now. 
I think it may have the best opener of any Stevie album with Too mm-hmm. High. I mean, I, yep. that, that, that is a great, it's super funky. That ball, nails that and nails that jazz thing. And he goes for that jazz thing in Songs of the Key of Life, like on Contusion. And he goes too far. I think he goes too far. He goes too much into that, like Jeff Beck, like jazz fusion thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more, it's more funky and more R&B on, on Too High. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And, and I love, and, and the, the backing vocals, the women in Too High are great, especially yeah. at the very end. Yeah, that, like, yeah. little fade out is, yeah. is, is a great that you know a great yeah. little button at the very end yep and yeah and then from there he does this a lot too he's not afraid to just like completely change the tone with the second song he drops it down oh my god yeah it's a song of visions and it's great and it sounds like a lot of really great hip-hop now actually that yep. guitar yeah. and everything um from the last uh, 10 or so years um I'm surprised it hasn't been sampled a million times that that beat and that like guitar yeah it's it's got a great groove to it yep and I think with Higher Ground and Living for the City you get the best of Stevie Wonder kind of right there Higher Ground it's it's socially conscious it's politically conscious but it is also extremely optimistic Mm -hmm. I, I, I think you know, so and that, and that's 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 a big thing for for who he is, uh, and Absolutely. who he is who he has been from 1962 to 2021. He has always had that optimism, yep. and I think that's really important for for his appeal, uh, and his perspective. Uh, and sometimes it gets corny. Um, you know, it, it can be there, there. There's a fine line, and sometimes he he crosses into a little bit little corny. Uh, but never on intervisions. There's never a cringy moment on intervisions. No. And I think it. I think a lot of it too has to do with. Uh, I mean, I remember being 15 and thinking "You Are the Sunshine of My Life" was the corniest thing. Like when it came on the radio, it was like what a cornball song, you know. Mm-hmm. And then like 10 years later, or whatever, it was like, oh my god, this song is amazing. Like, I, I think there's, I think there's some perspective with age that comes in there as well. But I totally agree with you. I I just turned thirty and also reached the point. Where I'm like, you are the sunshine of my life is great. <laughs> like, uh, like, awesome. but I've also be, I'm becoming more and more a fan of a talk of talking book also. But the second mm-hmm. of those two songs, uh, "Living for the City," is Stevie with at this point the most bite he's had. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, he is he is really going for it, and and he sings in a way that you haven't really heard yet. Uh, is it's much more soulful and, and, and gravelly. Uh, after like the the spoken word part yeah uh, you know and and how bizarre is that also uh you and what's going on you kind of get like the the banter between people you don't know who it's it's like a scene from like a movie in the middle of that song like it's like I, i don't i off the top of my head i can't think of another another record by another major artist that did something like that at that point you know just kind of yeah completely pivots to this like street side scene it's great yeah and 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 that can be something that can really turn someone away really quickly yeah but i love it still just like even if even 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 kind of kind of cheeky about it because whenever like my fiance and i go anywhere i'll be like ah you know Asheville, north carolina just like i pictured it you know like <laughs> you know like, i just like to use it whenever maybe even if that's uh you know, ironic or, or ironically offensive or whatever uh, it's still just you know it's it's fun uh, for me and for her to not laugh at every time 
And uh, yeah, so I, I think it's a great uh, snapshot of that time and his political consciousness. And and then you also get things like Golden Lady. Don't you worry about a thing. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it, it really is just super tight. Nothing is cringy. Uh, nothing has been appropriated or sampled for bad Will Smith movies. Uh, you know, you don't get the nothing's been turned into a wild, wild west song. Nothing has been turned into a weird owl song. You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's pure in that way. It's, it's, it's kind of been, it's hard to go back in time and listen to stuff without these like ironic jaded ears. You know what I mean? Like yeah. mm-hmm. I talk a lot of, I, or I, one of the, the, uh, songs I bring up when I talk about this a lot is Harry Nelson's, um, without you. Right. Mm-hmm. Which you can use in like a million movies in these like sort of ironic comic scenes. Like I can't live if living was, is without you. Yeah. And it's sort of, the, it's been turned into this funny thing. And when you hear it, you have this like Pavlovian response where you're supposed to be like, Oh, this is so cheesy, you know, but to go back in time and to hear that when it first came out, I mean, I love, like, I love pastime paradise on uh songs of the key of life, which mm-hmm. uh, I think you're referring. No, that's the Coolio song. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I wish is the the wild wild west. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So the I, wiki it, wild wild west. It, it's tough to go back and to to be able to hear that stuff without hearing the things that came after it. I get it. You know, for me, the reason I love songs in the key of life so much is I feel like it is the culminating work of this period. So yeah, um, it, it it does. There, there are moments in songs in the key of life where it does feel like he is kind of coming down from the mountaintop. So I, I will give you that. I think the kind of the the Spanish Harlem flair to don't you worry about a thing. Um, I, I'm with you. This this is top three Stevie Wonder songs of all time, um, and this is one of the songs that I think will remain part of the pop music ethos for you know for, for forever. As long as as long as people are listening to music, don't you worry about a thing. Is a song people will be listening to. It's one of his but, best vocal performances. It has mm-hmm. that, and it has that that Stevie one, that Stevie comedy at the beginning there, where that like that guy <laughs> is like trying to impress that girl by like speaking. You know what I mean? He starts yeah. speaking Spanish and like he can't really. Get yeah, I just, it's it, it's so great. I and and that's what I love about Stevie Wonder is he's is he can be goofy and he can be uh, positive, um, and uh, I think it, I think it works to his benefit. We can't separate out what we know today in music. From, from when the album originally came out. But I think that's also hard for me to do in terms of the politics of the time. You know, Vietnam was still not over. Um, Nixon's in office. Like, there's, there's a whole lot of things politically that are going on that are at the height of this moment that, that, are, that are easy to forget going back and listening to Intervisions. And so for me, uh, you know, a song like Too High, a song like Visions, higher ground but jesus children of america living for the city like they're um you know he's mr know-it-all the the more politically charged songs of this era of stevie wonder are they they just don't age as well for me and and because and i think that's it's just hard for me to put myself back in that in that mindset now well, I you're say in north carolina bit. now so it might be a little bit easier you must see some old school racism, my man. <laughs> I hear you, Rob. I know what you're saying. I, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, and I, and 
again, like with the you are my sunshine thing, I feel like I've gone through phases of uh, feeling like some CV stuff is more authentic than others to me, to my ears. So, so I, I can get where you're coming from. Yeah. So, so what, what, what you and I both have in common, Mike, that my guy doesn't have yet is we both have, we both have children. And so there is something. Music also, is um, other ball game once you have children, man. Also like, not, yeah. not to be left, not, not to be kept on the podcast. Uh, but I also teach humanities like peace studies mm-hmm. is a class that I teach. So I'm some, you know, things like poverty, I'm about to, we're doing our civil rights mm-hmm. movement for these next two weeks. We're doing mass incarceration the next week, you know? So the, 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 these are topics that are always on my mind, just by nature of what I do for a living. So the, you know. Yeah. So, so the, the point that I was going to make about, about being parents is I, I do think that there is something to songs in the key of life where you very much are seeing a CV wonder who is, experiencing the joy and the wonder and the awe of being a parent for the first time in, in Song of the Gay Life. And, and on a very sentimental level, I, I just feel that. Um, there, there's, something, there's something about Song of the Gay Life. And again, maybe that's a life stage thing. Maybe that's, you know, where you are in your life or, or that season, you know, attracts to certain parts of Stevie's music. But Songs in the Key of Life feels very much like a guy who is rediscovering joy through the eyes of a child. And even, even in, in the song, so like you thinking about Sir Duke, like this, this love song to, to music and to the music yeah. he grew up on, it's yeah. almost this idea of like someone who is rethinking their own experience to music through the eyes of the, of, of, of how we're exposed to music as, as a child, there, there's something, um, at, at the risk of saying it, like there, there's something almost more innocent about songs in the key of life among, among this run that, that I, I just respond to in a huge way. So what, what well, I mean, I, Rob, you, Rob, you, go I'm going to stop you because you just said something interesting. Uh, Zeth, full disclosure, I've read the book. Uh, <laughs> Rob has not. Um, so Rob, what you don't know is that chapter two, is called innocence, right? Oh. So, birth, innocence, experience, death, transcendence is how Zeth uh, kind of reworked the album uh, for the structure of the book, kind of riffing on William Blake and stuff. Uh, so, what you unknowingly did was set up uh, one of the early chapters in, in Zeth's book. Actually, for anyone who's interested, uh, you can pick up Zeth Lundy's his volume of the 33 and a third series on Stevie Wonder songs, in the key of life, wherever books are sold. We want to encourage you to do that. Now, Zeth, tell us a little bit about innocence on songs in the key of life. Man, I, I don't know if I can tell you ex- explicitly about innocence, but I can tell you that again, my, my thought process when I went into writing the book was about a period of genius and then not to bring this conversation down or anything, but my, so my mom was diagnosed with cancer around the time that I was putting together the proposal. And I was thinking more about life and death. And uh, that's when I structured the book the way I structured it, which is from birth to, I, I thought about the, the book as a life cycle and the record as a life cycle. Um, and that's how I framed the, um, the book in general, right? Um, and 
the last section is about transcendence. And there's a, there's a lot in the book about just the, like pop music as like repetition. And what I love about songs in the key of life is that it's, it's not in a rush at all. Like it starts with loves in need of love today, which is, I forget how long that is, but it feels like it's seven, 20 minutes long. It's like seven minutes long. Something like that. Yeah. And like, like that's that's the that's where it starts it starts with this slow it's it's a i mean it's mid-tempo but it's this repetition and then it ends if we don't count the 45 it ends with this with as and another star which again are like six seven minute repetition bangers so it's all about um what am i talking about i'm talking about birth to to death and transcendence and um i don't know man that's that's the, the way i looked at this record was sort of like a life cycle um, and I, and, and I, and I, this record was so huge in so many ways. It was long. It was, it, it's a, uh, one of the longest records that's ever been put out. Um, when it was released, it was one of the biggest sellers of all time. Um, it made Stevie Wonder this multi-million dollar huge. I mean, he already was, but it made him, you know, more famous and rich beyond his wildest dreams, I think. It's so I sort of approached it that way that this was sort of like the the soul R&B record of the 70s to end all soul and R&B records of the 70s. And, and while his contemporaries were sort of putting out stuff that wasn't necessarily at this caliber, he was taking it to the next level. Um, and so the innocence part of the book is, again, I, I chose songs in the record that I thought fit into these categories of you know, birth, innocence, experience, death, transcendence, that sort of thing, just to sort of frame it in a different way and think about it in a different way. And I think it works to great effect. I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. the book. It's a, it's a quick read. Uh, if anyone's ever in, in, intimidated by the length of the book, I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it's great. Uh, great to also uh, Thanks, put the record on in the background, yeah. uh, which is the way I enjoyed it, uh, to just kind of a lot of osmosis happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a great way, and yeah, I mean, you can you can listen to the record probably about three times and have the book about done because the record's so long and the and the book is so such a breeze to get through, and such a joy to get through. Uh, so, if my recommend recommendation means anything, uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, so, I, I want to I want to take a moment and, and look at the singles released from Songs okay. in the Key of Life. Yeah. So in, in the United States, I Wish, Sir Duke, Another Star, and As are all released as singles from Songs in the Key of Life. Was As, was, it, that, was that like neutered as a single? Was it shorter? Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a shorter version than, than the one that appears in the album was, okay. was the 45 release. Isn't She Lovely is released as a single in every country but the United States. And there's uh, essentially that, that all goes down to relationship with the record label that Stevie Wonder was adamant that the five minutes of some of his best harmonica playing on any of his albums that has been, you know, cut in with all the sounds of, of his daughter. Right. That, that he, he was unwilling to let the record label cut any of that down to essentially make a radio edit of of that song and so isn't she lovely released everywhere else as a single except for the united states because his commitment is no this this is part of this song this this is crucial to this song is is all of this 
being a part of it. And so I, I wondered, even thinking through that lens, this is, this is asking you, <laughs> in, in a court of law, we could never get away with asking you to ask, uh, asking you this question, because I'm asking you to assume how Stevie Wonder is feeling about it. <laughs> but of, the, of this five album run, I would dare say that I would think that Songs in the Key of Life is the one most important to Stevie Wonder of these five albums. That, that, it, that it, is, it, is, it is seemingly more personal than, than the other four. Yeah, it's, I would agree with you. Um, definitely more personal. And I think you could argue that, again, uh, the records that he made leading up to this were sort of like, he he did he does like everything on songs in the key of life that he did in those four records before, but then he does other stuff too. Some of it works, some of it maybe doesn't work as well. But um, but no, I would totally agree with you there. Well, thing about songs in the key of life too is just I, I hate the idea of just kind of like you're like well you know this this seems to be really important to him, so we should we should put that one on top first. You know I. Even with pet sounds, it can be kind of weird. With with other, and I'm a huge Beach Boys fan, not just pet sounds, but especially that album. You, you you get a sense from Beach Boys fans and pet sounds fans that they're you have to kind of protect Brian Wilson and his legacy. You know, you mean it's just like yeah, it's number two, but it deserves to be number one. And you went through a lot because the Paul Giamatti character and Love and Percy gave him such hell. You know, so you know like. There, there's this kind of need to protect the legacy and protect that and honor it. And I feel like that's how it is with a lot of double LPs too. It's just like, no, you got to respect the double LP because that was the one that almost broke them. And that was, you know what I mean? Uh, for, for, for other artists. And I think it, that's what kind of worries me about like saying like, no, songs that kill life needs to be number one because it was the one he worked the hardest on and we got to give him that pat on the back. It's like, well, he won album of the year and it was the best selling and so I, I don't think he needs that pat on the back. And also, I don't think that just because of one album of the year and it sold so many copies, that's what makes it a great album. Uh, plenty of really awful novelty songs have also performed really well at award ceremonies and on the charts. Uh, so for me, you know, it's uh, th- those aren't always like great indicators of what. And also, I mean, it's the end of this era. And... I don't know that the end of an era is the best part of an era, uh, but I'm the same way with Blonde on Blonde of like that trilogy. You know, people are like, yeah, but it's the end of that, like bringing it all back home, Highway 61 revisited, Blonde on Blonde. I'm the one who's like, yeah, but the middle is kind of where like, you know, Highway 61 revisited. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one where I want to go to. And with our Beatles episode, uh, Revolver sits perfectly in the middle of the Beatles discography. If you include Yellow Submarine and Magical Mystery Tour. And in this five album run, for me, the height of it is right there in the middle with Inner Visions, uh, because fulfilling this is a little bit of a, a dip. And Sonic like Life isn't a dip, uh, mostly because of how much ambition is included, and also because it's a double LP and a 45 and a booklet. And he he made a huge show, which Zeth points out uh, really great. I think like in the introduction of the book about how. Uh, record uh, talk, talk about this about how they how people first heard songs like key alive dude it was crazy they put they they bust people from new york city 
out to like Western Massachusetts to some farm where uh, like Stevie Wonder was dressed up. He had like cowboy hat and he had like gun holsters, but in the holsters, like literally were copies of the record. They like <laughs> had people out of this farm <laughs> and they, <laughs> there's footage of it on YouTube. It's crazy. Like, and they played the record for people out at this farm and uh, which was also a Shoot, I forget the name of it, but it was—it's a—I think it still is operating to this day. Perhaps it's a recording studio, um, and I, I know some bands from Boston that went there. Like it's—it's it's like the place where Nirvana made um, in utero in Minnesota. Like you go there and you stay there. You—you um, you like stay there for the weeks that you're there as a band and live together and record or whatever. Anyways, um, yeah, they bust people out from New York City. They had these ginormous billboards which back in, you know, 76 was a, a bigger deal than it is now. I mean, it was a, the promotional blitz on it was ridiculous. And it sold um, a ridiculous amount of copies before it even, before it was even for sale. Like it pre-sold. I mean, it was a big deal. It's sort of like the, it's like the jaws of records. So, you know what I mean? It's like the the, yeah. the beginning of like blockbuster albums was songs in the key of life. Yeah. But, you know, Jaws, by the way, for those keep a score at home, 1975. It's the same time. Yeah. I was hoping it was the same year. But okay. So um, when I think about lists and I think about ranking stuff, you know, like when I was, when I was 21 and I was really into music criticism and diving into records by, you know, uh, getting into soul music, whatever, it, there was sort of like this, this, this canon. And I, and I talk up, I, I, I sort of wrote the book from that perspective as sort of like respecting the canon, right? So there's like, when you talk about the best records of all time, you're like, well, there's Sgt. Pepper and there's Pet Sounds and there's What's Going On and Forever Changes and whatever else you're going to, you're going to put in that list that it's sort of always there. And they're sort of like these, these like uh, deities that you respect and pay homage to and whatever. Right. And then, you get a little bit older and you, and with, you know, um, the benefit of like the hindsight and time and age, you say, well, you know what? Sergeant Pepper isn't my favorite Beatles record. My favorite Beatles record is, is actually Beatles for sale. And, uh, because of X, Y, and Z. And so that, that sort of becomes, you sort of shift the, 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 the weight there. Right. And then you get a little bit older and records become more of a, for me, at least like, it's more of a personal thing where I'm like, this is the record I identify with, not because I've been told that it's great or that I know theoretically it's great or whatever. It, it fits into my life in this way. You know what I mean? Like this is the record that I, that, that I, I happen to listen to on this 10 hour drive that I took to, you know what I mean? Like it just, I think high fidelity was, I think, um, I, th- I think Cormie was onto something when he's talking about sort of, arranging your records in chronological, uh, you know, biographical, biographical, Biographical. right. Um, that there's something about that, like the older I get, the more I'm tied to, like, I could give, I, I, I could really care about some of the records in my collection that are like maybe more sought after or worth more money. It's the ones that are worth like $2 that have a, uh, uh, they resonate for me for some particular reason. Right. So, I'm just sort of, this is like a preamble to talking about this. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of look at these things in a different way that I used to look at them. You know, like that, like if, if we were having this conversation 10 or 15 years ago, I would have 
you know, well, of course, this is the record that we need to say is the is the one in the top 10 because blah, 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 you know, but that's just not the way I look at it anymore. From 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 number five to number one. And let's let's because because I think that's to your point. Let's let's even get away from from the term greatest. Let's let's just make it this. For you, from number five to number one, what are your favorites of this five album run? What what is what is your least favorite to most favorite? All right, of, of this five album run, I'm nervous. All right, uh, <laughs> number five, uh, fulfilling this uh, first finale. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, you're no. I mean. First of all, I mean, let's be real. Like, there's like no wrong answers. I mean, like th- th- we're talking about five perfect albums. You know, be like, but no, you're right to scoff because I mean that's that's the nature of this. Um, because number four uh, is a uh, songs in the key of life. It, wow! Wow! No kidding, really. Hey, man, I am who I. I'm not all good. I just that's um that's Listen, surprising. This is great. This is like the inevitable yet surprising. This yeah. is the twist at the end of the narrative. I like it. Yeah, I mean, because I I just listened to all these records again. I've I've been I've been listening to them through headphones. I've been uh, spinning them on the turntable, and I've been streaming them on, on my like speaker on my TV through Spotify. I've listened. I've been listening to them in like different ways, even. And so, like, I I like some of them in different ways, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I was I was just spinning them again, and I got the songs of the key of life. I was just like. Man, I'd rather jump to like the other ones first, but like I definitely have to hear this one because we're doing the episode. But like I just kind of find myself just kind of dreading. But that being said, you get into it, like Village Ghetto Land pops up, and you're like, oh man, this album just destroys, you know? So, but it's still for me, I would put number four and number three. I put does, um, does the length of it make it feel like a chore to you to listen to? Is that dude, part of the issue? I will listen to I listened to Sandinista the other day, start to finish. I, I am not okay. afraid of a double LP, a triple okay. LP, not afraid of it. Okay, so, so so number three is music of my mind. I I love this album. I got oh, I got it right here. I mean, um yeah, but they're not they're not even like really what you would think of as kind of classic Stevie Wonder songs. I mean, there aren't really great big hits on here, but like Love Having You Around opens up a seven-minute opener, just like Songs of the Key of Life, but I like Love Having You Around more. Um, and then uh, number two, uh, Talking Book. Holy moly, what a great album Talking Book is. Uh, maybe Your Baby, uh, you know, uh, uh, Big Brother. Uh, and it has superstition on it, but like, man, I, I can I can make a top five favorite on that album without getting superstition because there, there's so much great stuff on there for an album that only has ten songs on it. And that's arguably like the the most far out one too, don't you think? In terms of like the weirder stuff, like even like maybe your baby, it's like got that like oh. alert, like stop start with the synthesizer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it's very Parliament. Um, yeah, yeah, on the funkadelic yeah, side, but yeah, sure. And it's and it's seventy two, <laughs> so it's like it's it's kind of predating the height of Parliament funkadelic. All right, so yeah, I mean, talking book, 
uh, kind of hard. I, I would do a a rare thing for this show, and a rare or unprecedented, in that I would even compromise and say if we we could not choose intervisions or songs of the key in life and do a compromise and do talking book, and I would still be happy with the outcome of this episode. That's how much I love that album. Uh, best TV wonder closer on talking book. Yes. My, my yeah. favorite personal favorite Stevie wonder song. That's there a, it is. Yeah, that's, that's up there. That's on my list. Yeah. And how, it, and uh, how high fidelity ends also. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number one, we all know this uh, inner visions. It's my, that's my first kind of into like the Stevie wonder LP. So of course that's my number one. So yeah, so that, that's, that's my five. Um, good okay. luck editing that five. So um, we are going to have a very different five, but again, I'm so I we, hope we, so. we, we, we begin, we begin this conversation by saying this is, these are these five albums in a row are as good a five album run as any artist has ever had. Beatles, so, Dylan Prince. No, no one else does. Like, yeah, mean, no, no one else has five albums this good back to back to back to back to back so number number five music of my mind okay number four fulfilling this first finale now if i had made this list two weeks ago (laughs) i would have put talking book here but in going back over the last two weeks in listening to the entire this entire run multiple times i'm actually going to have inner visions at three talking book at two mm-hmm. and songs in the key of life at number one and again i i think that if if there's any album for me you know if 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 you're looking at the rolling stone list over the last 20 years and seeing inner visions drop and songs in the key of life rise that for me on my personal list, the the album that it's kind of creeping its way up, my my top hundred, is Talking Book. The more the more I listen to this this album, the more I love this album. Zeph, who has written so well about not just this album but about this run, how would you rank this run? And again, we're not talking about greatest, we're not talking about best, we're talking about your favorite. Okay. So I put music in my mind at number five. Oh, uh, killing me. That album is so it's, good. It's just, it's, it's the songs for me, man. Like I, I feel like there are stronger songs on, I come back to the other records for the songs. I love how music in my mind sounds. I love how it kicks off the run. Um, it's, it's just the one that I listen to. I come back to less than any of the other ones, I guess. Number four yeah. for me is, so number four for me is Talking Book. Talking Book used to be like two or, or one for me. Um, it, it's just, and again, I, I love how experimental it is and I love how clutch it is in the development of his sound. But again, for me, uh, it's, it's, it's one that I, I don't come back to as much as the other ones. Fulfilling this is, is at number three for me. And that is, that's grown a lot for me in the years. Um, I love, again, like They Won't Go and I Go and Bird of Beauty. Um, and oh, I love that track. Yeah, and Heaven is 10 Zillion Light Years Away and You Haven't Done Nothing. And I, I just, I love, I, I feel like that one and Music of My Mind are sort of the two 
lesser known underrated ones from this five album run. And for me, this one just edges out music of my mind. And uh, the more, the more time I spend with this one, the more, I, the more I dig it. Um, and I don't know if it's partially just because it's one that's not mentioned as much and that, that makes me want to sort of root for it more, but what do I know? Um, mm-hmm. So number, number two is inner visions for me. Um, my, my first, my first uh, intro into Stevie's, uh, full-length records, it still um, really resonates with me. But Songs of the Key of Life, I think what pushes that over the top for me for number one, not just because I wrote a book about it, because again, the book was really about that whole run. Um, but I love, there's no other Stevie record that has like, Love's Need of Love as another star, um, Joy Inside My Tears, like, Joy Inside My Tears is like that it's so slow, but like the more, if you listen to that and you just like crank it way up and you listen, it's like the, the groove, man. Like I love the extended grooves on songs in the key of life. And I feel like they are unlike anything that he did before. And perhaps they aren't as sort of tight and concise but they really get at what I was, what I wrote about in the book with this transcendence thing and sort of like pop music and repetition. And I just love how they sort of like echo on and on and on. And they, there's, there's something about that record that for me, um, that just, it just, it really resonates with me. And I love just the, I love the repetition of that record. And I love how, it, again, it's not in any rush, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't come right out of the gate with Sir Duke or with, um, I wish, you know, it, it, it comes out of the gate in a very leisurely fashion. Um, and, and for me, for me, that's the, it's the number one record, uh, for me. Intervisions is a, is a super tight record, like we talked about before. Um, but if I was gonna, if an alien came down and said, I need a Stevie Wonder record, I would give them songs of the key of life. And I think that that one is, uh, is, is a clear number one in my mind. But Zeth, tell us what you're working on now. Tell us uh, for our, for our listeners how how can they connect with you? What what are you working on that they should be looking out for? How can how can they support you? So these days, um, I work. I'm the editorial director at um, Disgraceland Productions. Um, our so our flagship. So it's, we we produce podcasts, and our flagship show is Disgraceland which is a um, music and true crime podcast. Um, And if you haven't heard it, it's great. It's a scripted series um, with really immersive sound design, like edge of your seat storytelling. Um, It, you know, it's the stories of Jerry Lee Lewis and um, Jay-Z and the Grateful Dead and Cardi B and uh, anyone in music, but it's, it's through, through the lens of, um, of crime and vice, right? Um, but we also have a sister company called Double Elvis and my primary role, I write, I'm the lead writer for a show that Double Elvis produces called 27 Club, which is about musicians that died at the age of 27. So we have a, we have a full season on Jimi Hendrix and one on Jim Morrison and our third season on Janis Joplin launches in a couple of weeks. And then I also write a show called Blood on the Tracks, which we have one season about Phil Spector out there. And then what I've been working on, I can't really talk about yet, but it's gonna come out very, very soon. 
I'm working with Disgraceland Productions on developing some new content that's going to be coming out um, very, very soon. And it's really awesome. And I'm really excited about it. Um, but um, for anyone that's interested, disgracelandpod.com is sort of like the, the, the starting place to go to um, for what we do. Well, Zeth, we, we cannot thank you enough for doing this. It has been a, a real treat to talk to you. And we're going to be promoting um, all the stuff, the, the book and all the stuff that you're doing through Disgraceland. But uh, um, so just, just what, a, what a fun trip to talk about uh, this, this album together. Thanks for, for joining in, nerding out with us. Guys, uh, we certainly had a good time. It was my pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on for sure. And any anytime, I'd love to talk to you about you know, <clears throat> Santa Anissa or whatever, you know? So. <laughs> Say no more. I didn't love the way that ended. Um, I, of course, wanted it my way with Intervisions. And I wanted so badly not to lose the songs of the key life that I even bartered for a compromise talking book but i'm wrong uh between you two songs of the key of life rolling stone songs of key of life i put out a poll on my instagram uh my my personal one i said hey what's better inner visions or songs of the key of life my follower said songs of the key of life all right i i i am wrong i i so i'll own it uh this seems to be the, the very clear winner i get it it's ambitious. It's got, you know, some mega hits. It's got the uh, these great gems, and yeah. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Seth Lundy, for. I mean, what? I mean, what? What else did I expect? Inviting the guy who wrote the book on songs of Kia Life. That's that's on that's that's on me. Um, so yeah, but that that was a great time. So we do want to take a moment and just recognize. Uh, Zeth is, was a great guest, and we want to encourage you to uh, check out disgracelandpod.com, and you can follow all of his stuff there. Uh, subscribe to the mini podcasts that they're producing, and keep your eyes open for something that he's got coming up towards the latter part of this year. Um, he couldn't really talk about it yet, um, but just keep your eyes and ears open. Uh, it's good stuff heading your way. A little bit about Songs in the Key of Life as we close. Songs in the Key of Life is now a top 10 album on the most recent Rolling Stone list. Songs in the Key of Life, overwhelmingly the greatest selling Stevie Wonder album of all time. In 2005, it was certified Diamond, one of fewer than 100 albums that have ever been certified Diamond by the Recording Industry Association of America, which means this is an album that has sold more than 20 million copies. So as they say, 20 million people can't be wrong. They sold a lot of Beanie Babies too. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) We almost wish we could include all five of the albums of the perfect period in in our list. If we're doing a a top 500, there's no way those five aren't going on there. Agreed. Agreed. But for our first season, 
we're only doing one Stevie Wonder album. Only one of these is going to make our list. Mm-hmm. We've decided on Songs in the Key of Life. So the question is, is Songs in the Key of Life worthy of being included in our first 25? Of course. All right. So, and, he, and here's my case for Songs in the Key of Life, right? Um, Inner Visions is kind of the perfect album for 1972 for like what music was at that time especially from black artists right songs of the key of life right is great for not just the time period but uh, a great snapshot of what was happening at that time but a great glimpse of what's going to happen for the rest of pop music all right i mean that that really is its legacy uh you i mean you really can't exaggerate just how influential uh that album is i mean everybody i mean beyonce's talked about it uh frank ocean has like sampled stevie wonder um also like on blonde there's a track on here i mean you can you can hear frank ocean do that song cover that song now and it it would and it fit right into something like blonde you know so it i mean there it's you know one of these great musical gifts that keeps giving, uh, even if it's been bastardized by Coolio. Not so much. Not, not so much there. At least not near as much as like the Wild Wild West soundtrack to, to, to I Wish. Uh, but it, it perseveres. Or at least that's our take. So, listener, what about you? What do you think? Reach out if to us. There's somebody on- who says Stevie Wonder does not belong on the 100. I don't want you to listen to my podcast. Like you, <laughs> you got you got it, you you got it all wrong anyway, my man. And I'm assuming you're a man. So, if you think it shouldn't be songs in the key of life, if you think it should be inner visions or talking the book or even fulfilling this first finale, let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter at you forgot one pod. Reach out to us on Instagram at you forgot one. Or leave a message on our website, youforgotone.com. And we want to see you back next week as we are joined for the first time by a second time guest. We are going to be joined by our friend, Michael Washburn, who's coming back to help settle the debate about what the greatest Van Morrison album is. Moondance or Astral Weeks? We'll see you next week. Man lost his damn mind in the West. Love less, kidnapper down, nothing less. Now I must put his behind to the test. Then through the shadows in the saddle, ready for battle. Bring all your poison and come to poison. Behind my back, all that riffing you did. Front and center, now where you live back here. Who that is? A mean brother, bow for your health. Looking damn good, though, if I can say it myself. Told me Loveless is a madman, but I don't fear that. He got mad weapons, too. Ain't trying to hear that. Trying to bring down me, the champion. When y'all clowns gonna see that it can't be done. Understand? me son i'm the slickest they is i'm the quickest they is did i say i'm the slickest they is so if you barking after wrong tree we coming don't be starting nothing me and my partner gonna test your chest loveless can't stand the heat to get out the wild, wild.